if there was ever a no-brainer, you would think that the sixth commandment is it. In English, the sixth commandment is four words. In Hebrew, it's two. We find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Or in Hebrew, lo tirzak. I bet you all got that, right? <laughs> now, who on earth doesn't know that you shouldn't murder somebody? Well, evidently, quite a few people, really. Now, if we're going to look at it, we need to maybe get a fuller understanding of it. Okay, so let's unpack it a little bit. Maybe a way you could put it is never kill humans improperly. The word translated murder here, correctly in my view, is sometimes used for what we would call manslaughter. For example, in Exodus chapter 21, there's a law concerning a person who had an ox who knew that the ox was aggressive, but he allowed the ox to get free and that ox killed somebody. The owner would be guilty of manslaughter. Now, such a death, as I say, is not what we in our legal standards would call murder. Murder is intentional, unjustifiable homicide, the taking of innocent human life. Negligence in keeping an aggressive animal is manslaughter. But there is a such thing as criminal negligence, both in the U.S. legal system and in the heavenly one. What I want to look at tonight is I want us to see two distinct but obviously related principles, two concepts taken exactly from this commandment so that you and I can live. First of all, the way God commands all human beings to live, but then also more specifically, so that we can live as Christians who know and love and trust the promises of God for us in Christ. So let's start with the principle at the very surface of the command. Never be culpable for the death of innocent human life. That's the four words in English spread out a little wider. Never, it says. Don't do it. Just don't. God is serious. For all people at all times in all places, there is a clear command. Don't kill innocent human beings. Period. But he adds a culpability, a moral culpability element. Obviously, this includes what we would call murder, the intentional taking of innocent human life. And it means that we must take precautions against negligent homicide. We should avoid unintentional death that could have either have been foreseen or at least we could have taken steps to mitigate the risk, so to speak. For example, one law in the Old Testament was that you built a small wall around the roof of your house. Why? Because people spent time up there in the evenings and they might easily fall off. Can you foresee that happening? Well, of course. Can you prevent every fall? Well, no, but you can take precautions. And the law gives you that incentive to take these precautions so that you are not culpable for accidental death or injury. Now, death is the key word here. The issue is a taking of life. And as we shall see as we go through this, there is more than one way of being culpable for death, to be responsible for the death of 
of an innocent. Because clearly innocent is also very central here. And as we know, there is no person who is innocent in an absolute sense. But it doesn't take a whole lot of thought to imagine a woman being struck in an intersection by a drunk driver to realize she was innocent in that situation. So the drunk driver would be guilty at least of manslaughter, but certainly of the sixth commandment. Now I did include the word human. Never be culpable for the death of innocent human life. We are commanded to be good stewards of the animal kingdom. Absolutely. However, that's not what's in view here. Human beings are created in the image of God. Fido is not. And life. Never be culpable for the death of innocent human life. Life is God's prerogative. God gives life, God takes it away. It's his call to make as opposed to our. Now, having said that, allow me to make something clear. You are free to be a pacifist. And you are free to be against capital punishment. But you are not free to take the sixth commandment as a basis for those beliefs. Why do I say that? Because each one of the five books of Moses differentiate between guilt and and innocence. And in each one of the five books of Moses, we see that there is a command to take a manslaughterer's life judicially. There is a difference between guilt and innocence in the court of law of the United States and in the court of law of heaven. Life is God's to take, and He has given us very specific instructions on when it is justified to take that life. Now the fact that you can give a lethal injection to an infant in a womb, but you cannot give a lethal injection to a convicted murderer is more evidence as to the absurdity of our culture we live in today. But I digress. Never be culpable for the death of innocent human life. I want to note something. Suicide active euthanasia, and abortion are all prohibited by the sixth commandment. This is true and must be preached from every hilltop and every valley, from every brand of social media and coffee shop. And this is not the point of today's sermon. Today, I want to look particularly at a, at a particularly Christian application of this command because I want to turn to Christ himself and I want to see exactly what he's getting at. What is it that he finds to be the heart of the sixth commandment? Now remember, we've said this in every sermon, we are looking at the Ten Commandments wrongly if we do not see them with Christian eyes. We are looking at the Ten Commandments wrongly if we do not remember all the while we are looking at them that we are saved by the wood and we are taught by the stone. So here's the big idea. Promote life. Advocate life. Pursue life. Give life to your near ones. Whoever is in your circle, whoever comes in contact with you, make sure that life is available for them. 
We're going to look at four passages for the rest of the sermon, all spoken by Jesus, that directly relate to the issues presented in the Sixth Commandment. Never be culpable for the death of innocent human life. Now to understand Jesus' teaching on these four, on the Sixth Commandments, we will see, I don't know that he planned this, but we could see a progression of how he gets deeper and deeper into the heart of promoting, advocating, providing life to those who are near you. Do you want to be pro-life? Do you want to understand what it means to see life as God sees it? Well, here is where we start. Let's begin where Jesus quotes the sixth commandment himself in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21-22. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his judge brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus reads the sixth commandment, and he interprets it to mean that we must not despise anyone. That's what you're doing when you're calling them a fool. That's what you're doing when you're calling them names you don't want to repeat in here as you're out on the road. We are not to hold anyone in contempt. Despising or holding another child in, of God, or a child made in the image of God, holding that person in contempt is to have the root of murder growing into bloom in the soil of our heart. Don't do it. Don't do it. Every man, woman, and child we meet must be seen as an equal to us as human beings. If we hold another person in contempt because of their race, their religion, their sexual orientation, or their gender identity, if we despise another because they are drunk or an addict or homeless, homeless or are an abortionist, if we make someone out to be less than us, less human for any reason, then we stand be guilty before the king of kings and the judge of judges in regards to the sixth commandment. Instead, it is for us to be pro-life, to promote life, to provide life to those Jesus puts in our path. Promote life to your near ones. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that. And to see the very minimum is that we must not despise people. We must reject what is so easy in our culture and is so easy in our own hearts. We must not call them a fool or reject them or make them out to be less than human. Certainly less than me. Because I'm such a great person, right? Don't think that. Don't do it. My friends, you want to win the culture wars? You want to win as the church militant against those who despise Jesus and hate those of us who trust them? You will not do it 
by fighting. You will not do it by despising. You will not do it by murdering humans. The only way to destroy an enemy is to make your enemy your friend. And the way we do that is to love them. That's exactly the next step. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, the Pharisee comes up and he says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. It is not enough merely not to despise a person. It is not enough to pretend they don't exist and just look the other way. Jesus says here, the greatest commandment in the whole Bible is two parts. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your near one. Jesus then takes it even a step further in John chapter 8. He says, you must love your near one as God loves you. Self-sacrificially, for their benefit. Is that hard for you? (laughs) Welcome to the crowd. Pray. Ask Jesus for the grace to do it. John, Jesus' best friend, takes it even one step further. John says that if we do not love our near ones, we cannot love God. It is a serious thing to despise one of God's image bearers. It is devilish not to love him or her. Which is why we must be about, we must take steps towards, we must think about and pray about and ask Jesus to help us promote life to our near ones. Promote life, love. When you love your near one, you give life in a manner that is consistent with how God gives life. Is there someone near you of a different religion? Become their friend. Is there someone near you who has differing political beliefs than you? Become their friend. Just be their friend. Do what friends do. Share meals, give time, help with chores. You know what? There's a technical word for this kind of living. Love. Now, I don't want you to miss something here. I don't want you to make a mistake here. This is a crucial issue. This is foundational to the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes this issue crystal clear. How you love your near ones will determine how you are judged on the last day. It's exactly what Jesus says. Matthew 25, verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is not done. Verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then the king will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to my brothers. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I wish I could make this stuff up. I'd skip that. I, I don't want to read that. That's uncomfortable. Anybody uncomfortable after hearing that? Do you despise people who have a different sexual orientation or gender identification? Do you despise abortionists? You're not living like Jesus if you do. Those on the other side of the culture wars, listen, those on the other side of the culture wars are not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan. And our means of fighting against Satan are not the means of fighting of the world. We don't fight this war with guns and hate and social media articles and posts. We fight this war with love. The only way to destroy an enemy is to make him your friend. When we get to Matthew 25... Jesus is, is as if Jesus is defining his commandment in Matthew 22. To love is to be willing to sacrifice for the good of the beloved. Or more in line with where we're at tonight, to love is to be willing to sacrifice for those Jesus puts near you. To love your near one is to leave no one Jesus puts near you out of the boundaries of your love. Now, obviously, you will have a greater ability to express love to those who are nearer to you than those who are far. Of course that's true. Certainly, you will have a greater responsibility to love those who are one of, in one of a number of ways related to you. Absolutely. There's no question about that. Just as certainly, if Jesus puts someone in your life, you're responsible to love them. Now you may not be able to, you, you, you certainly are not able to love with the fullness that love is described in Scripture. But if you go and read 
1 Corinthians 13, and you see love is patient, love is kind. When you're kind to the person who is wildly different from you, you're loving them. Ah, well, but you see, um, this is really, it's all too much, Pastor Greg. Surely Jesus didn't mean that we are to love like this. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and imprisoned. Apparently he did. In fact, really, as I was going through this, I thought, you know, Jesus, if this were me, I could have shrunk this way down. I could have, I could have taken, you know, the 12 or 13 verses and I could have made them like four. It would have been real easy. You know what I think? I think Jesus kept it that long on purpose because he knew that there was going to be some preacher standing up someday reading it and it takes him five minutes to read it and the people in the audience are going to go, "Woo, that's heavy. Just remember, it was heavy on me before it was heavy on you. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and imprisoned. This is evidently what Jesus means when he's talking about promoting life to your near ones. Let me cut to the heart. Let me get right to the point. Do something. Do something. You cannot solve every issue. You can't. But you can do something. You cannot solve every injustice, but you can get personally involved where you can and where God leads you to do something. Do something. Step out in faith and bless a near one that God the Son has put into your path. Remember, it is true, never be culpable for the death of an innocent human life. That is true. That is the surface level. That's that's what you get when you read Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And promote, provide life. That's what it means to be pro-life to your near ones. Do something. Listen, I am with us in this. This is as painful to me to preach as it is to you to hear. Trust me. I look out into my world around me and I'm overwhelmed. I see babies murdered. I see sickness and absurdity in the grossest kind. I see sickness and death and misery. 15-year-olds wasting away because of cancer. I see injustice everywhere. And I close a blind eye because it is too much. Anybody with me? 
But here's not the answer. Here's what not to do. Don't go sit behind a screen in your locked home and curse the darkness. Do something. Love someone. Start small. Start small. Don't try to eat a whole tri-tip. Just take one bite. Talk to Jesus. Tell Jesus you want to be open to loving someone. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. He receives that prayer. He hears that prayer. Tell Jesus you're open to loving someone different than you and ask Him to help you do it because you can't do it on your own. I've tried. Can't do it. It comes from abiding in Jesus, turning your heart to Jesus, meeting with Jesus freaks and meeting in Jesus' word and getting together and then getting out. Being with these people who are different than us and doing something. For example, join with our Central Coast Rescue Mission people as they feed the homeless on Thursday nights. Clothe the naked with them as they hand out clothes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. How about those who are being led away to the slaughter? Join with CareNet here in town and help mothers and fathers raise their children. Yes, men. They need men at CareNet so that they can minister. We're not supposed to say minister. We're supposed to say mentor. These men in how to be fathers and husbands. How about starting smaller than that? What about just getting together, serving the younger men and women coming up in the faith? Who's a young person you see in the church on Sundays? Stop them and say, hey, you know what? I'd like to buy a cup of coffee. Be prepared. Coffee now costs $4.50. I'm just telling you. They will love you for buying it for them. Sit down and listen to their concerns. Find out that their concerns are not so different than yours. Do something. How does this command, thou shalt not murder, how does this command relate to justice issues like racism, for example? Have you ever taken any steps toward knowing that person who struggles with racism? Have you ever tried to find out what their fears are? You got fears. I got fears. Man, maybe we can actually talk to each other. Maybe we can find common ground even if our skin is not the same color. Hmm, I wonder if that's real or not. Do you love them? Do you know any of them close enough that you could actually love them or they could receive love from you? If I sit on my hands and I say, well, I've never caused the death of anyone in my life, I cannot therefore claim innocence of breaking the sixth commandment. I must love my near ones, those whom Jesus puts in my various 
friendship and acquaintance circles. I must love them with sacrificial love if I am to be pro-life, if I am to promote life. Now, okay. Before you accuse me of going soft on the gospel and getting into preaching this social gospel, I have two comments. Number one, is it a social justice gospel if I'm obeying Jesus' understanding of the sixth commandment outlined in these passages? I'm just preaching God's word. Like I said, I, I don't, if I were making this stuff up, I wouldn't include that. But secondly, we must read also the fourth step that Jesus takes in this getting to the heart of the sixth commandment. And I find it in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore into all the nations and baptize, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, look, see, pay attention. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gets really deep, really fast. Okay, not only are you supposed to get together with them and have a cup of coffee and talk about football, but you're supposed to have real conversations that really get to the heart of the matter. What does it mean to live as a believer in this world? What does it mean to obey all that I have commanded you, including the sixth commandment? And what does it mean when Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age? I can tell you it means at least one thing. At least one thing. It means that while you're out there trying to love someone who is not like you, Jesus is with you. And even if you fall on your face, he is with you. My friends, because you love Jesus, because you know and therefore love and trust God, you are safe and you are loved. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, then it's therefore our job to go out and be the ambassador of that message. Now, there's this odd little verse in the middle of Luke that helps us, I think, explain the connection between the Sixth Commandment and the Great Commission in Matthew 28. That verse is Luke 16, 9. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when unrighteous wealth fails, they, the friends that you make, may receive you into eternal dwellings. Whatever it takes, however much it costs, when souls how by fighting by yelling at them by quoting really good quotes on social media ha take that is that how we do it how do we then make friends for ourselves with our money with our time with our talents do something Something. Love them so much that you sacrifice so that they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. 
you got, you got to hang with me here. This is, this is so wonderful. You want to be that guy or that girl someday who's walking around in heaven and you're bumping into friends that the Lord used you to show them how to get to heaven. You know, that completely unlovable person that you really don't like because they're not like you. You might bump into them and they have a mansion in heaven because you sacrificed your time, your coffee money to let them hear the good news. You're going to be walking down the street having completely forgotten about that time you helped out the Central Coast Rescue Mission or CareNet or you met that 20-year-old with colored hair. And you're going to be walking down the street and she's going to run out the door and she's going to grab you by the neck and she's going to haul you in for a party like you have never seen on earth. She's going to call all her neighbors and say, Woo-hoo! Praise Jesus! I would not be here except for this person. We're going to have a party like you've never seen. Jesus says, do that. And have that picture in mind while you're going out there this week and trying to love your neighbor. Sacrificing for the good of your near ones. That is why we make disciples of all the nations. That is why we take time to teach them and baptize them. That's why we take time to invite them over for tri-tip. That's why we go over and we help them with their chores. That is why we promote life to those Jesus puts in our path. Again, if I were making this stuff up, I would have just stopped this sermon really quickly. I would have just said, hey, don't be culpable for the death of an innocent human person. Okay, we're done. Let's go home. I'm good. But that is not what Jesus thinks the sixth commandment is all about. Not murdering is not enough. Nevertheless, we must take the sixth commandment at face value. For the world, for everybody in the world, it is certainly true for all people at all times in all places that we must never be culpable for the death of innocent human life. But you, Christian, you who are the one who knows and therefore loves and trusts the great Father of all, and you know and love and trust His promises for you in Christ, you are called to something deeper. And Jesus makes this very clear. We must promote life to our near ones. And my friends, this is not adding law to grace. Grace, remember, is God's power to you and through you and for you so that you will be able to accomplish kingdom purposes for His glory apart from anything you deserve. So remember, When you go out, when you love your neighbor, you are consuming grace. You are saying, Lord, I need you right now. Okay, thank you. Let's go. And while you are going, he is gracing you. He is blessing you. He is giving you the strength that only he can give because you don't deserve any of it. He is giving that grace that you need to go and show love. And so you say, woohoo, thank you. Praise Jesus. Grace, remember, grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn grace. But grace is not opposed to effort. 
Grace is opposed to impressing. We've said this almost every sermon in this series. You cannot impress God by your keeping the Ten Commandments. It won't work. You can't do it. Done. Mm -mm. Won't happen. But you can. You should. You're commanded to. Consume this grace. Drink this grace so that you will be sacrificially loving. You will be God loving them through you. You're not going to impress God with your nonviolence. You're not going to impress God by your Facebook tweets. You're not going to impress God because you are really good at keeping the sixth commandment, not killing anybody. But when you turn to the one who died on the wood and you allow him to teach you through the stone, you will be able to love those who are near you. And when you get on the other side of the Jordan, when you get to the eternal mansions, you will see that Jesus has prepared people to throw a great big party for his glory and your thanks. Do that. Do that and you will not regret it. And Lord, once again, we cannot do this apart from you and we need you even to show us where and how and who. And Lord, I pray that you would do that in us and through us and for us this week. Enable us to see you moving through us so that you will receive all the glory, we will receive all the joy, and your kingdom will grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.